Welcome in to another edition of the Half Court Press. I'm John Niatawa, joined by Chris Hetty. Chris? John? We're back. We're back. <laughs> to talk a little bit about our teams. Creighton and Nebraska both played overseas. Creighton mm-hmm. was in Australia. Nebraska was in Italy. We both watched live streams. Yeah, but mine was at noon and yours was at 4 a.m. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I did have to watch a, 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 a live stream in the dark. Actually, storming at the time when I was watching. Really? Yeah, like a Why'd you watch it in there. the dark? Um, it's a good question. I don't know. It just <laughs> felt right. It was it's 4 a.m. The light, the too early for, for yeah. lights. Yeah. Right. Did you, have to, like, did you have like a giant gallon of coffee? I next did to you? actually. Yeah. I actually prepared the coffee the night before, yeah. so I was ready to how go. Much, how much did your soul like cry when you set the timer for like 3:55? Yeah, exactly. To the coffee. 3 3:35 a.m. was the timer. Uh, it was that was tough. It was tough, but, but, but you got I to made watch it through. Got to watch basketball in August. That's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to watch Nebraska. How many times did you get to see him? Twice? Uh, just once. Oh, just once. Mm-hmm. The first game was, mm-hmm. first was game. streamed, and then after that. So it's hard to gauge. We said this before uh, when we recorded our podcast a couple weeks ago, previewing this, these two teams' this trips out there. It was hard to sort of get um, a true – it's going to be hard to get a, a lot of – to make a lot of assessments and to make some concrete declarations about what we learned and what these teams are going to be. But – um, learned a few things, mm-hmm. have a few questions. Mm-hmm. I guess, w- was there a player or a maybe a thematic sort of um, takeaway that you had after watching Nebraska play once and then seeing the box scores the way that uh, yeah. know, the stats kind of whirled out there? Yeah, there, there are a couple things that, that stood out to me. Um, I guess I forgot to mention Nebraska went 4-0, by the way. They did. They, mm-hmm. they were undefeated. Um, and, and a couple of the teams that they beat pretty soundly didn't – other Division One teams yeah. kind of have some issues with them. Yeah, and there's there's this, like, so a lot of these teams, it's hard to gauge for a lot of reasons because you don't know how good the players are going to be. But you also don't know who the players are going to be because some of these academies, they've got, like, 50 guys. Uh, and then they'll be like, who wants to come play? And just you play with who you've got. And then the last team that Nebraska played, it was this academy that basically sent out a bat signal like, hey, any basketball players in the area want to play? And they're like, yeah. And so like 15, 20 guys showed up and then they played. Okay. So like, that's the rosters much... Changed. So, you can't really compare the results. Yeah, so okay. that's why it's much... But at the same time, if you're someone like Minnesota and you do play a team that's an academy and you don't know who the other players are and then you still... And you trail after three quarters and only win by five, that's different because that's like, oh, yikes, there's some issues. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, yikes. Um, anyway, so the reason why I know all of that is because that happened in Minnesota. The college basketball, Big Ten college basketball community in general was like, oh, yikes, Rich Pitino. Because he also got a tech. He got uh, a teed in He the got game. teed up in Italy, wow. which is like just the most Pitino thing. Um, Brings to mind, didn't uh, Greg Marshall... I mean, this is didn't he get teed up in like Canada or something? Wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm pretty sure he did a couple years back. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Anyway, so we should be getting teed up in an exhibition game overseas. No, (laughs) no, Uh, it just shows what's going on. Yeah. Um, And uh, anyway, so I know all this because Minnesota reporters were explaining it to people that were like kind of jumping on Minnesota. Alarm bells are ringing off for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. I guess so. A couple takeaways. One, there was a different leading scorer in every game. Wow, which I think is notable. That is notable. Um, Gervais Green was the first one. Deshaun Burke and Hennep Cheatham both had twenty in game two. Smarty Curtis uh, led the team with thirteen in game three, and then Charlie Easley, a walk on, actually led the team 
game four with 15 points. Um, so that that is good. And let me, I'm going to run through, this isn't really an order, but I'm going to run through scoring averages for all four games. These are all the players in a row. I'm not yeah. going to, so this is how it went. 11.7, 13 13.5, 7, 8.2, 7.7, 8.2, 5.7, 6.2, 6.7, 5.2. That's like the, the roster. Yeah. So everyone's between, I think, what was it, 5 and, a, and 12? So basically everyone's between 5 and about 13. About 13. 5 okay, and 13, yeah. which tells me a lot of things. It tells me that they're passing the ball, that they're moving the ball, uh, it tells me that somebody, everybody can bring something, and that's encouraging. Yeah. Because I think, especially in the last couple of years, Nebraska basketball has been really top heavy. It's been Terran Petaway, maybe one or two other guys, Terran Petaway and Siobhan Shields, and then kind of nobody else. Right. Um, Ty Webster had a big year that one. Yeah, season. Ty Webster had the one big Andrew year. Andrew White. Yeah. Even last year, you know, it was James Palmer, but there were nights when James didn't really have it. And so it wasn't at, like theoretically last year was like the most balanced it was supposed to be, but it was still really top heavy because yeah. you had four guys that were trying to score all the points. So, um, and then ironically enough, at the end of the year, it kind of evened out a little bit. But at the same time, it was Roby and then kind of everybody else. Yeah. Anyway, I think with this team, it's proved to me a little bit that I think scoring balance is going to be something to keep an eye on because though Deshaun Burke led the team in scoring, um, you are on a roster in which a walk-on can still lead you in scoring. And what I mean by that is Deshaun leads you in scoring but doesn't hog the ball to an extent that he doesn't allow other people to score, which right. is what can happen sometimes on a basketball team. Um, so I think that that was super important. Um, and then to, to keep it sort of brief, I guess, the, the, the main – and this, is, this seems like a coaching talking point, like something that – you would hear Fred say just to kind of say on the radio and make it sound really good. But I think it's true is like, it's notable to me that he said when they got on the plane in Nebraska to go to Italy, it was kind of a quieter group and they didn't really know each other. And while they were over there, he could see them grow. He could see them goof around and, and talk with each other and hang out. And by the time they left, it was, it was more, it was like a team. And so I think what happened was when they left, it was a bunch of guys from all over the country, all over the world, actually, who kind of knew each other because they were all wearing the same jersey, and they kind of came back as more of like, okay, we're a team. Yeah. And I think that's really important because now they know who to sit with at lunch, uh, at the training table. They know who they can walk to class with. They know uh, who's going to be in the gym early. They know who not to room with because they snore. Like, you just – and this is what happens when you, you know, go to the Coliseum together and you go to Lean Tower Pisa and you – uh, you know, are sitting and waiting for a bus bored with each other because you're just sitting there in the Italian sun and you're like, well, this sucks. I might as well get to know, you know, Deshaun Burke. Hey, man, like, where are you from? Like, you know, yeah. so so I think that's really important that they were able to go over there and do that. So, yes, they went 4-0, and yes, some, some on-the-court stuff was good, um, but off the court, just introducing each other and introducing the team to each other I think was was probably the most most important takeaway. Yeah, it's hard. It, um, you'll hear coaches talk about, like, and players will talk about it too just trust mm -hmm. and how important it is. I mean, mm -hmm. it shows up on the basketball court when you know maybe you're shading off a shooter and helping on a driver or something, or mm -hmm. or you let a guy go knowing that you're going to have a defender there at the rim, or um, you know you attract defenders as you dribble drive and you pass it out to a teammate and he's there to take the shot. Mm -hmm. and so I I just. 
and I it think matters a lot. It does, and I think it's uh, what you bring up. You is can't build trust good. without building a sort of a bond first. So. Yeah, and I think the first, the only game we were able to watch didn't look like a team that trusted each other really because they didn't move the ball. I mean, there was a couple plays in particular where someone would have the ball and instead of swinging it for one more pass, which is what Fred wants, it's just hey, there's the wide open three. Someone would like drive and take a bad shot instead or they would not look at anybody and they were just trying to score because you know you're trying to impress the coaches and get a starting spot didn't look like a team that trusted each other but the fact that a walk-on leads you in scoring shows me that the trust is starting to build especially because one of the things that nebraska was really trying to build up uh after that game was that samari curtis was the one that was initiating he was finding open places for charlie easily and so all this stuff is kind of working so you're right i mean trust is important and on the basketball floor and so building that in any way is great and building it in italy is is, you know is like fantastic like it's just perfect it's the best case scenario to have a trip for a team of new all new faces Mm -hmm. to to join up it, when you watch that game, that first one, did anyone stand out as as like, oh, I, that was something that I didn't expect, or yeah. maybe a play that, or maybe just maybe somebody that affirmed your opinion of him. Um, and again, it's just one game. I get it, but yeah, he, but but at the same time, I my, uh, Shamil Stevenson stuck out to me because I wasn't really sure what Nebraska was getting with him. Um, and he is he sitting out? It's, I can't remember. Is so it? he's in a weird situation right now where um, he would be eligible in like mid December oh, after okay. the first semester. But Nebraska, they still, as far as I know, has they have not applied for a waiver yet. But I know that feel they feel good about it because um, if they would apply for a waiver, that he would be eligible immediately. They feel good about that, those chances, because there's some precedent and some players that okay. have been in almost identical situations. So they're hopeful him. that he could play right away. Year. Right. Yeah, and, so, okay. and so I, I wasn't really sure what they were getting with him, but he, he scored in each game. He scored 9, 6, 5, and 11. I think he's a better shooter than I thought. Um, he really, he's a really good attacker. Again, the rest is not going to be a great rebounding team i don't think but he's a i think he'd be a good rebounding wing he's just built different he's built like a big east guy yeah he's built like a big east guard um or guard forward i guess and uh so i think i mean there was a couple tip dunks you know follow-ups he's a good defender like he was someone that wasn't maybe the sexy pick because he didn't he wasn't in every single play and wasn't hitting all the shots or whatever but he was just kind of everywhere and involved in everything so that kind of stuck out to me um and then I think Hendrick Cheatham's going to be really good too. Like yeah, I think that's he's interesting. Gonna be... You know, I I got to see him a little bit at Marquette. Yeah, and I, he was just a guy. Yeah, you know that the he was he was a dude you could help off of. I mean, to be honest, mm-hmm. like they 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 had other weapons on the court, and mm-hmm. sure, I mean, if you left him wide open for a three, he, he can knock that down. Right. But um, if if there was a guy that on that on the court that you felt like okay, well, we'll, we'll help g- off we'll, him. We'll yeah. give we'll make him beat us before he beats us. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's cheat. But, and I think that he's going to, I think whenever people, I think whenever he signed, there was this assumption of like, well, he's going to be a glue guy. He's going to be the leader, mm-hmm. whatever. But then he goes out and he scores 20 in game two and he's knocking down shots. And, and I think he, I think he averaged 11 is what he, uh, let's see. Yeah. 11.7. So he scored seven, 20, 12 and eight. And 
I don't know. I, I think we always assumed that he would be a starter, but I think he might be a guy that, you know, accidentally score, you know, averages 11 and 11, right. and 5 and 4, you know. It does seem like the system's going to be, it fits his skill set pretty yeah. well. You need, you need someone like him on the court who, he's not as athletically dynamic as a Cam Mack or Deshaun Burke. Or as but, good but of a shooter as Jer- But for a four, potentially? But, yeah, that's but, what but for before. a three, you need is basically... He, is he a three or four, you think? He's know. basically the adult on the floor who, like, facilitates. You know? He's the yeah. adult in the room that's like, all right, Cam Mack has made four in a row. I'm, I'm, I'm the adult making the executive decision while we're in transition that I'm going to get it to him. You know? And so he's important. Um, and so I think I just I think about him maybe a little differently now. We'll see once play actually starts, but I think he'll actually be able be able to contribute more than maybe I thought um, on the offensive end of the floor. Okay, real quick, I'll get this. I want to ask this, and then we'll switch over to Creighton. What, what I learned, and, and I'll show you. But is it? I don't know if you can even answer this, but like I wonder if there's if there's like a concern or a thought of a uh, area of improvement that you have for for Nebraska. Head, like they're going to start practice in a few weeks and i wonder mm-hmm. maybe what the top what what do you think is at the top of the list for fred horberg because the the hard part about asking that question is just because nebraska started essentially just formed a basketball team yeah. a couple months ago it's almost so, like, like a, it's almost like a replacements football team you yeah know? you don't even have time to formulate <laughs> yeah. all right how good are we going to be on the glass and yeah. you know in this situation what works best here it, like yeah it, i don't i feel like you can't even make those determinations right now because you're just trying to teach guys how mm. to play mm. and get to know everybody and mm. that's that was the primary concern but i wonder anything that you've just from watching yeah. the scene. um i mean they're not going to be a good rebounding team they know this there's nothing they can really do about it yeah because they're small and the big 10 is big um so rather than saying all right we're going to do some rebounding drills and get better at rebounding I think one of the main things they'll talk about is how do we counteract how much we're going to get out-rebounded? How do we make sure that we are shooting the most efficient shots exclusively? That way, we're not one shot, you know, miss other way. You know what I mean? How do we get back on defense really quickly? How do we force some turnovers? Um, What kind of defense can we set up that makes it so that other teams don't just kill us in the offensive boards. So rather than doing a bunch of blockout drills, which I which would imagine great, they'll probably still do. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. But I mean, like instead of being like, "Hey, we're going to spend forty-five minutes on rebounding today," right. like you have to get, and that we are guy. not going to, we're not moving on until we get ten offensive rebounds. They've accepted that. You know, that, that I think it's going to be a week. I think yeah. so. Yeah, and so I think that that's one thing. How, yeah, how do you counteract that? It's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a question for Creighton too. They the the Jays haven't been a great rebounding team during mm-hmm. McDermott's tenure. No, they they typically they have been pretty good on the defensive side. Defensive side in terms of not giving up offensive boards, but they don't crash the glass. Yeah. And um, Coach McDermott's argument has always been, well, you can't be good at everything. If you were good at everything, you'd win the national title. So you, so you have to sort of pick your battles. Okay, this is what we know we're good at. We're going to try to master that, and then just try to sh- hope that that overcomes. The, the deficiencies. So, yep. like you said, if if you're not getting offensive boards and creating extra, extra possessions for yourself, then maybe on the other end you're able to force some turnovers and create some extra possessions for yourself. Or maybe you're just so efficient on offense you don't need those extra possessions because you're scoring at a high rate. Um, and maybe on defense you can eliminate their efficiency. Yeah, and um, and basically, but, you know, I 
am not great at X's and O's football, right? But I feel like I'm pretty good at writing about the people on the football team. So I can do X's and O's stuff for football, but I counteract my deficiency on that by trying to do the other thing more. You know what I mean? So the basketball team is not going to be a good rebounding team, but they're going to do it, obviously. But they're going to try and counteract it with something that's more efficient, but better in that way. So so that that is something I think they need to, to focus on. And two... Just in general, integrating Cam Mack and, and Ivan Wadrago. I mean, that's those are two extremely important guys who Cam Mack wasn't able to make the trip because he was sick. Uh, well, first he wasn't eligible, and then he was sick. I know that he is healthy now. He's back. Um, he's at home in Texas, I believe, uh, working out with some guys. Um, man, he's... He he had a I you know people want to follow him on Instagram he he usually posts what he's like working out a lot of these guys do mm-hmm. like where oh, they're yeah. working out what they're doing and whatnot um someone took a video of him that he kind of reshared it's just like a pretty simple play of you know he's on the wing takes two dribbles dunks on somebody and the kid's like not big but he ruins lives so how do you integrate him? How do you teach him the offense they just ran? Because he's behind in that way. How do you make sure that he's healthy and maybe gain a little weight? Um, and how does he fit into this kind of, you know, accidentally jumbled guard rotation with Gervais Green, who played well in Italy, Samari Curtis, who played extremely well in Italy, Deshaun Burke, who played, you know, led the team in scoring in Italy. And now how do you integrate Cam Hack into that? And how do you do that while keeping everybody else happy? Um, I think that's really important. Yeah. And then, you know, Ivanway Drago is, he actually, I don't think he actually made it to Italy because he wasn't in any of the team photos or anything like that. And even guys that didn't play, Derek Walker was over there. Um, he's the Tennessee transfer and he didn't play in any games, but he was obviously there. So I, I don't know what's going on with that. Um, I don't, I, he might've been there, but I just didn't see um, in any of the photos or whatever. But he, you know, theoretically could be the starter at five like they need somebody to start at five and i think kevin cross played well but there you got a sense when hearing fred hoiberg talk about it that he wasn't super pleased with two of the games that he played he played well in two and they're not great in two and regardless i think you need to play both of them anyway and so you know yvonne has been playing overseas for a while he's big big dude so how do you you know, does he run the floor well does he move well how much can he play and you know in a row it's almost like I almost view them two as um, like a defensive lineman where one of the things that's going on with Nebraska football with defensive linemen is like, you know, with Damian Daniels, for example, how many reps in a row can you go? Like, can you, you know, can you do five straight reps? Can you do five straight plays? And so can, can Yvonne play six straight minutes? Can he play four straight minutes? Like, how do you sub them in and out whenever they're both tired? Who do you put at the five instead? Like, what do you just kind of, what they're going to do with those two people? Because, you know, those are two eligible guys. And also, with Delano Banton, you know, you kind of have to take him out of the rotation now and kind of use him a little bit differently because, you know, he's not going to be able to play next year. So you can't be like, all right, well, we're doing first team offense, Delano, you know, or whatever, or even second team. Like, say, hey, Delano, just like try and like murder us on scout team so just there's different dynamics that they have to kind of shift they're almost a new team again yeah because they have to add two new guys and they're they're taking taking away away one so um i think a lot of it will be you know again rebounding because it's kind of nitty-gritty stuff and and we'll have plenty of time to kind of go over that and talk about that um and write about it 
but it's kind of a new ball game again because you've got these two freshmen who I think in a perfect world play a whole lot for Nebraska. Right. right. So Nebraska um, is going to open practice. Well, everyone's open practice at the end of September. Nebraska's having a little uh, yeah. get Opening together night. yeah, with, yeah. With, for inviting fans in to celebrate the uh, start of practice. Right before the Ohio State game. It's going to be I'd imagine wild. they do a three-point con- three shooting contest, the dunk contest, all the works. Yeah, I bet, you they'll, I bet you they'll scrimmage a little bit. Yeah. Um, they'll do introductions for all the players because nobody knows them. Fred will probably talk. They do have a musical act, but I don't. they, they haven't announced it yet. Mm. They said they were going to announce it. After the team got back from Italy, okay, so, so it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Yeah. Um, DJ Cool? No, oh, that, that's, that's possible. Yes. What's Lil he Na- doing? Is he, is he doing anything? Nothing. He came in and performed for Mike Riley not too long ago. Yeah. Little Nas X is probably uh, probably a little too expensive now. Probably. Um, oh my my uh, my my guess on Twitter was Ch- was Chance the Rapper because Chance the Rapper Ooh. has a relationship with Nebraska already. Has a relationship, I think, with the Chicago Bulls because he was in Chicago when Fred was there. He plays in Kansas City the night before and plays in Chicago the night after. So he's got an open night. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's coming to Omaha too, I think, in October. Uh, Chance the Rapper is. He puts on a good show. Yeah, he'd be good. And he has a new album. Anyway, right. so that's my. That's, that's my uh, so that's the plan. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, practice starts very soon. Yeah. So that's good. What do you, you learn from Australia? Well, let's see. Um, I think, again, like you're talking about, we talked about sort of the competition level. Creighton played a a team that was made up of high school, like prep players. Oh, really? The best high school players in Australia, essentially, hmm. like an all-star team for mm-hmm. high schoolers. They played that team, lost to that team, actually. Hmm. Um, then they played a not pro, great. Then they played a pro team, an Australian pro team, top flight Australia NBL team that only had maybe four of its normal players on the roster everyone else is up training or mm. uh trying out or whatever they beat that team 29 point comeback and then they beat another nbl team that also i don't even know if it had any starters on that that played it was it was what they called an invitational roster um and beat those that beat that team pretty badly so I, hard to get a gauge and again that i mean every everything that i'm going to say after this remember that jacob Epperson didn't play uh Marcus Zagorowski didn't play. Kelvin Jones didn't play. The grad transfer from Idaho State, who's going to add some depth on the interior. Um, Tyshawn Alexander didn't play the first game that they lost and uh, was kind of limited after that just because he had just played. And then Denzel Mahoney is kind of the X factor who transferred in from Southeast Missouri, but he's been away from the team for a personal matter. Supposed to rejoin the team when school starts in a a, a week and a half. So we'll see Mm -hmm. where he if he does that and what his status is, but that, that's five guys that could play yeah. next year. And yeah. uh, they weren't at, I mean, four of them weren't there and one of them was limited. So, but with that said, I thought, um, I thought the, the game that I saw, I, I thought I saw Mitch Ballack at a different level than, really? than he was at last year in terms of the way he was seeing the floor. He made a couple plays um, just in terms of getting the ball to other players uh, that I thought were notable to me. There was one that, that I didn't see in the third game. It was actually the first game. It was a highlight. They just showed the highlight where he dribbled and just sort of tossed the ball up, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I didn't even see Christian Bishop there, but here he comes from the baseline, catches it, and dunks it. Um, uh, just one of those 
simple alley-oop plays, but, but Ballard drew the defenders. And it was funny because he did that a little bit in practice, and I asked him about it before they left for Australia. And he was just like, yeah, you just, you just throw it up to those guys, man. <laughs> like, just, they'll go get it. Yeah. And it, that was one thing that he admitted as a freshman. Like, he didn't that, – that idea of just, hey, going off the pick and roll, driving downhill – hit the roll man who's right there mm-hmm. open not every time obviously but um that's a staple to Creighton's offense and is a staple to a lot of people a lot of teams offense who who run he- heavy on ball screens um hit the roll man going to the rim lob it up there because the defense can't get up to the height that that roll man's getting up with the momentum he has going toward the rim and to learn that is sounds simple but to do well, it on the basketball yeah, court is, is it's different. different i mean there are different levels especially if you're a kid like Mitch Ballack who Every time he gets the ball past midcourt, is like, well, I can shoot it from here. Exactly. And, and he so, did. And I think he dropped one in from like 30 feet out in that third game where so, he got hot yeah. in the middle of that game. And I think he made like four or five threes in a row over yeah. the course of a couple quarters. And it was like, I mean, that version of Mitch is pretty fun to watch right. because he's. But there's it. a different level of like Steph Curry when he was a rookie in his first, in, in his first second, third year with Golden State was good because he was a shooter. He became an MVP whenever he became completely unexpected you never knew what he was going to do with it he could throw it to anybody at any point he knew how he knew he saw the floor he was good at ball screens right and that's the thing that i think if i mean if what you're saying if i'm understanding right is mitch is starting to evolve as a basketball player he's not just a kid that can shoot yeah he can kind of become everything which is interesting too because they'll have him and i feel like tyson alexander kind of has is a little bit further on that too yeah he i mean he he probably showed it in his game a little bit more in games mm-hmm. Tyshawn did last year but I th- they both have it in them and Mitch yeah. has done a little bit more of that in practice lately to try to sort of get comfortable with it I think in his head he's like yeah I can do this I can do this and this but then it comes the game and you don't see that part of it as much so I think that's one of, been one of his offseason goals is to create more and do more than just be a spot up shooter and I mean here's the other thing that's it's tough to argue because he shot 42% from three last year. So, I mean... It's just wild. And, and there, there's a couple slumps in there, too. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's actually better than that. Um, I mean, him, him taking a three, even a guarded three, is not a bad shot. Borderline more efficient than anything else that I could think <laughs> yeah, of, too. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, he averaged 10 threes a game in, in Australia. Really? Attempts. May, oh, and, attempts or yeah, makes? No, he, he, he made... Or, I don't remember what his percentage was. I'll look it up in a second. But I wish we we didn't get box scores for Nebraska. So yeah, so we, we Creighton was good good to us in that they they gave us some box scores. But so he, he but he he averaged uh, ten three point attempts per game. Hmm. To me, that's like that's what it needs to be. Yeah. So that's just, that's the starting point. Well, like, there's twelve a game. There's twelve points a game. Easy. Right. I mean, right boom. Yeah. Right there. Exactly. I mean, because he's a forty, like you said, forty percent uh, shooter. So yeah, he he shot ten a game and made I think it was like forty five percent, forty six point seven percent. It's fourteen of oh thirty. Gosh. So I mean, um, who shot sixty three? Oh no, it's free throw. Never yeah. Mind. So that, I mean, to me that that was, you know, maybe he who would like the ratio to be a little bit different between nine. Two point field goal attempts and thirty three point field goal attempts, but I don't know. Like but, again, if you're going to shoot forty six percent, fire those up. Well, the other thing is too is those nine might be. I don't know. I I think both the teams we cover now, in in the bubble of college basketball today, it's shoot a three or a layup. Yeah. So maybe those nine were just layups, right? 
I remember he had a nice drive floater like along the baseline. That mm-hmm. was that was a good play, and he had a pull up jumper as well. But uh, yeah, you're right. That efficiency basketball, man. Like that's the new age. You, you, if you can't shoot a three, then get to the rim. Yeah, um, if everything else in between. If is, you can't get to the rim, then pass. Right. It's not. That's not what you want to see. So, um, quick takeaways. I mean, Christian Bishop was really aggressive, and and I think he's kind of shown a different element of his game, and gives me a, just from a observer standpoint like a little bit more confidence in what they're going to do with the five i think he can be, be a, uh, a suitable piece there i don't know if you want to put all the minutes on on his shoulders because he's a sophomore he's six seven he's still mm-hmm. building strength but he can certainly give you like he's learning how to play to his strengths even though he's a smaller he'd be a smaller five but he's got quickness to him and um you know he's got he's working on his jump shot a lot too so i think his improvement was on display in Australia. He averaged 15 a game. Um, one guy, he's not going to play next year, but Antoine Jones, who transferred him from Memphis, he had he had like the most interesting stat lines during the, let's see what it added up to. So he averaged 3.7 points per game, but he led the team in rebounds, block shots, or rebounds, steals, and was second in assists. So he was like a stat stuffer who didn't score. That's great. Um and I'm really curious to see how his game translates into crazy because he's more like a three or a four for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can shoot it well enough. You know, he was over three from three, but he's a better shooter than that. But I wonder like how it felt like a lot of times he was almost like a facilitator at times. Like I said, he was second on the team in assist. Mm-hmm. You don't see that out of your four man very much, especially not in Creighton's offense. A lot of times it's point guard driven and point guards initiate. Is he um, initiating the offense? No, he wasn't. He wasn't yeah, playing okay. point guard, okay. but he was just the way that the you know the half court sets would work, mm-hmm. or or how their flow would would he'd end up with the ball in his hands, he's creating for others, you know mm-hmm. that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think I think he's got a he one thing that he's gonna learn is a, a little bit or or adjust to is just Creighton's pace and the way that they move on offense in the half court. Like Chris Holtman actually said it, uh, formerly the coach of Butler, he saw Creighton a lot. Then again. Went to Ohio State and they played Creighton last year. But he said, so Creighton has, there's two dimensions of Creighton's pace. One is just in transition. Obviously, you got to get back. If you don't get back, you're going to give up a layup. So that's one part of the pace. The second part of their pace is in the half court. The amount of movement that they have, mm-hmm. um, how, how, how hard they move, how hard they cut, how quickly they pass the ball around. Like there have been times, there were times last year where that things got stagnant. And part of that was inexperience. Maybe it was injuries. Maybe it was just, those guys just didn't perform the way they wanted to. But when it's at its peak, and Chris Holtman's seen it at its peak when he was at Butler, it can be really tough. And I think that part of it is something that Antoine Jones is still going to learn of how to play with pace in the, in the half court, too, and to keep the pressure on the defense and, and to make sure the ball moves and you're moving, too. Um, but generally speaking, I thought, I thought they had – I mean, it's hard. Again, it's hard to say. I thought some of the freshmen had good glimpses and then yeah, not so good glimpses. But. Yeah, let's jump to this because because we're both at this point talking about these teams. What do we and we can be brief, brief, brief on this if you want, but what do we still have no clue about, or what do we don't? What do we not know at all about mm. for the next month? So practice starts in a month, right? What do we definitely don't know? Well, I don't know. Don't know what's going on with Denzel Mahoney if he's going to play next year or not. Mm. We don't know that. Um, we don't know how healthy Creighton will be all year at the five. I mean, Creighton had two five fives out in that tournament yeah. uh, or in the uh, Australia trip. So we don't know that. Um, I don't know how good of a ball handling decision-making team they're going to be. 
they had uh they only turned the ball over they had a 50 59 to 32 assisted turnover rate so it's essentially two to one um which is that's good yeah but you know the competition level it's hard to it's hard to gauge um they weren't good in that department last year in terms of their you know passing just making decisions turn the ball over at times uh not making the extra pass i think that that to me is a big key because that obviously drains your efficiency your offensive efficiency down and when you drain that down then you have to make up for it in other ways and they weren't able to do that um but i i do i i think i know you asked what i don't know i think what i know is that they're going to be a good shooting team mm-hmm. and uh i think they're their guards, the depth that they have, especially in the, in the backcourt, that they're going to give teams a lot of problems because they can hit you with waves. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they'll be more experienced, and they should be pretty motivated because last year they just missed the cut, yeah, for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, what do you not know about Nebraska? You could argue that I don't know anything. You could make a strong argument. Um, I think we don't know. Like, we don't know how this team is going to handle the grind of the season. And I say this because the one thing that's been clear, that Fred has made clear, is we, he doesn't love the way they respond to adversity. And this is a theme that happened last year. And last year's team didn't respond well to adversity, and because of it, lost like 11 of 13, or 12 of 14, whatever it was. And when things went bad, they went super duper bad. So I think non-conference will be good for Nebraska because they're going to have some really bad teams to play. I was going to say they won't face much adversity. Right. <laughs> they shouldn't anyway. But when you're down 11-2 to two at Creighton with 17 minutes left and Fred Hoiberg calls a quick timeout and the health center is going wild and it could get really bad quickly, do they punch back or do they lose by 27? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then if they lose that game by a lot, then how do you respond after that? And when the Big Ten comes around, how do you respond when things aren't great with that? And this is a team that's going to lose. Like, they're going to lose some games. They're probably going to lose about half of them. And so how do they respond to that? Do they stick together? Is it, you know, this is great that they're a team now and they like each other and all this stuff is great right this second. But I don't think we know that. Uh, how they'll actually deal with things like that. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with their guards. I'm so intrigued by it because I think that they've got so much talent and more than last year in the guard play. Really? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I guess I kind of consider Palmer more of a wing than a, than a like quote-unquote guard. guard. Yeah. But if you, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's in the he's in the NBA. Didn't he sign a contract? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but my, my, good. my point being, though, like, if you take, like, Glenn and Nana Kenton Thomas Allen From a depth versus standpoint. Cam yeah. Mack, Deshaun Burke, and Gervais Green, I don't, I'm not so sure I wouldn't take the You're other. taking this year's. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. I'm not sure. And, and, and then you add Smart Curtis to that. And so, like, I don't, I don't, I still don't want to get into the who starts discussion, but I was thinking about this in terms of, um, the bench so i went back and looked i was looking through ken palm um and fred doesn't play his bench like a lot at all he when he was at iowa state he was in i i want to say the highest that his bench played in a in a season was like 22 percent 20 
22 to 25% of the minutes of the minutes mm. which was um among the worst in the country and it was like 2 2 um 225 to 350 it was in that range somewhere uh, in terms of like bottom third or fourth or whatever um so if you take that in terms of like all right they don't sub a lot they they play their their starters a lot um who kind of gets left out if anybody and especially of those guards do they play all of them is there anybody that kind of gets lost in translation is there anybody? i just i don't know what the rotation looks like i don't know you know the cam mac element to this is super interesting because i think he could come in i mean they recruited him and said you're gonna run the show and the show has been going on in the last two months and he hasn't been part of it so we don't know that and then um i don't know if we know if doc sadler's twitter game is gonna get stronger uh and like consume the whole platform or continue to just be excellent um i don't know i think it's i think this team is going to be endlessly fascinating i don't think we'll really know how good I this is going to sound bad and weird, but I don't think we're going to know how good they are until the season's over, or how good they were until the season's over. Because I think there's just going there's going to be moments where they're going to look extremely good, and it's going to we're going to think, man, wow, they could they could really make a push to an IT or NCAA tournament. And there's going to be times where it's like, yikes, they're not going to make a tournament in six years. Yeah, you know. So, but they are the way that they set it up. What's interesting about it is they sort of they when you build a schedule like this. Because I've seen teams in the Big East do it, St. John's, <coughs> St. John's, and Georgetown. It's basically you, you play essentially you play nobody. They have a marquee game against Creighton, and I don't know who they got in the. You remember who they have in the ACC Big Ten Challenge? Georgia but, Tech. Okay, so yeah. Real, real quick, hold on, real quick. Go ahead. Bench minutes. Okay, this is Iowa State from 2011 to 2015. This is the rank. So I was off. This is the rank of. The, of 300 about, about 350 division one basketball teams they ranked in the first year 335th second year 297th and then 277 329 and 238 so they just don't play that they just don't play their bench all that much i guess my so that, thought that was is, my thought yeah and and just as a sort of building off that a little bit because the schedule is easy yeah and pile up wins mm-hmm. There's less sort of, there's less of an appetite for dissent, less of an appetite for frustration because you're winning and it's sure. How can we question what's going on? Everything's mm-hmm. going great. Yeah. And maybe in some of those blowouts, you can get some of your other guys in. Yeah. And build some confidence and some camaraderie. So, maybe so then when the bullets do start flying right. and you're in sort of the heat of the Big Ten season, things aren't going well. Yeah. Well, that you already have November and December as built as a foundation. Sure. So it could work out that way, but yeah. the problem is when you build a a a, a, a schedule like that, you're essentially telling the, the committee that like we're not going to be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, like, I don't. You, yeah. you, you're not going. The only way to do it is to pull off a ton of upsets in, in Big Ten play. Yeah, they would have to. I mean, their their strength schedule is going to be horrible. <laughs> like I I don't think we're going to see Fred Hoiberg on you know March fifth live on you know, Bracketology today. Right making a case you know yeah and i and i also think that in a similar way that scott frost spoke about like year two is the year it takes off year two might be the year that nebraska really right. gets good because that means you know deshaun burke's a senior k mac is a saw is a junior uh like everyone is a year older uh if they bring in some some recruits i can play right away like it's gonna be year two is where you see it actually happening so this year's gonna be a little bit rockier i think right very good. Well, we've talked long enough. We were going to get into some recruiting stuff, but we'll save that for the next yeah. podcast mm-hmm. that we do. 
um, in, I would imagine, just in a couple weeks to yeah. preview the start of practice. Yeah. So it's right around the corner. I know. It's literally like a month away. Yeah. Which is wild. I know. The basketball season apparently never ends. All right, Chris. Who, who wins? Oh, yeah. How did I forget? Yeah. Creighton, Nebraska. Um, well, let's see. At this moment, Creighton's down. <laughs> I listed off all those guys. Yeah, that's true. I'm still going to go with Creighton, though. Here's the thing. I know what I, I like. I know what I'm gonna get from them. I don't know what I'm gonna get from them. But what do you think? I mean, Creighton did just lose to some high school dudes. They did, yeah. And I that's mean, they not were, crazy. They were prep school in Australia. I think if Delano Banton can play, Nebraska loses by eight, ten. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You're kind of like kind of making me think a little bit though, because it's like I mean, Creighton starting five is fine. Yeah. With what it is right now, but after that, it's freshmen and walk-ons. Yeah, that's like the rest of their bench, especially if I, they don't have Antoine Jones, who's a transfer. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think transfers are eligible. Maybe they are. I don't know. Oh, I don't well, know. Well, if Delano Banton cannot play, then it's like fifteen, yeah. and twenty, maybe. Well, is Cam Mack in? He's probably not in yet. Nice. Nah, you can't. In you yet. can't count that he's in. Okay, yeah. I feel. I feel more comfortable picking Craig. Yeah, but if yeah. if we had if 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 we considered because because right now with the way the teams are formed, Creighton doesn't have some of its guys and. Right. Well, yeah. But if we, what we've always done is like right this right, second, right now, yeah. Because there was a couple, you know, a couple months ago where Nebraska lost on def- on disqualification. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They didn't have a team. <laughs> have a team. It was like Thor, Deshaun, Armand Gates, maybe a grad assistant. Yeah. So okay, yeah, I got Creighton for now. Yeah, I probably would too. I mean, Creighton's going to be a top 35 team in the country. While you were sitting there healthy, talking so. about Mitch Ballack, I thought to myself, man, Mitch is going to be good. Yikes, I also have Tyshawn. That's two of the it's best a, Big Ten or Big East it should be. It should be one of the better one-two tandems in the league. They could go like 18 and 16 points per game. Yeah. Don't you think? I, I, I think that's probably And then, there. boom, you get some production from the bench and from big guys. You've got a high-scoring team. Mm-hmm. They're efficient. I think they could be really good. Yeah. All right. Plenty more to talk about when we join yeah. up again in a month. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Chris.